Amen. You may be seated. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. He is risen. Hallelujah. That is why we are gathered together this morning. We are gathered here to celebrate the fact that Christ is indeed risen from the dead, to once more meditate on that beautiful Easter gift that we've been given. And so I think it's only right that before we dive into God's word, we take a moment to bow our heads and to pray together. So would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that on this day we remember that you are risen indeed, that your tomb is empty. And because of that, we have hope of eternal life, life which you secured for us by your death and resurrection. And so, Lord, now as we come before your word to once more meditate on that gift, we pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are gathered here to celebrate Easter. And and some of the things that we often think of when we think about Easter is we think of Easter as a day of light, a day of celebration, of music and song and joy, a day of flowers and colors, a day in which we say that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. It is a day for celebration. The question that I want to ask is why? Why is it a day for celebration? Is it a day for celebration simply because that's what we've always done? That Easter rolls around and we get dressed up really nice and we go to church? Is that why we celebrate? No, I think the reason we celebrate is because Easter is worthy of celebration because it answers, it addresses a universal human problem. See, we have to remember where the Easter story begins. The Easter story begins in a tomb. The reason Easter is good news is because up until Good Friday, this story wasn't looking like a very good story. I mean, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the one that people had expected to come and save the world, has been put on trial, has been falsely accused, has been executed and buried. And if that was it, that is not good news. Because it means that he failed. But our story begins here, it begins here with a tomb, and the reason Easter is good news is because now his tomb is empty. See, the truth is, is that the tomb, for all of us, apart from Easter, that's where we're going to end up. It's, it's, that's where most people think that the story ends, and, and Easter is here to, to let us know that that is actually not the end. Easter is good news. It's worthy of saying Alleluia because it means that death does not get the last word. But we get uncomfortable talking about the tomb. We get uncomfortable talking about things like suffering and death. It's something that we don't want to talk about because it brings up feelings of pain, feelings of loss. And there's probably somebody sitting here right now who's like, oh no, pastor talked about suffering, pain, and death. He just ruined my Easter. Well, good news. That's, we are going to be talking about the good news that comes. But the truth is, is, is we have to start here. We have to look at how Easter addresses this fact of the tomb. Because the truth is, is nowadays, we tend to try and do everything that we can to not talk about death. To not have to deal with human frailty. To not discuss issues of suffering and pain. We tend to try and wrap it up and get beyond it as quickly as possible. 
We want to cling to life and avoid talking about death. We want to, we want to cling to life and, and celebrate what it means to truly be alive. And, here's, and just to, to kind of illustrate this, here's an article that I read recently uh, this past week um, in New Yorker magazine. There was an article published called The God Pill, Silicon Valley's Quest for Eternal Life. Now, this article in, the New, in New Yorker magazine was a 14-page article. And if you have ever opened up a New Yorker magazine, that means that it is 14 pages of three columns of text, top to bottom in font about yay big. Okay? This was a long article, but what the, what the, the writer was highlighting was he was talking about how there are venture capitalists and scientists and technological wizards in Silicon Valley who to date have spent billions of dollars trying to stave off death indefinitely. Of finding ways that we as human beings could actually live forever or at least live several hundred to maybe even several thousand years. And we're not just talking about crazy people who have money to burn. They were talking about the heads of major corporations. The CEOs of Amazon and Google are a part of this movement and are funding it themselves. Trying to find ways to stave off death to not talk about the tomb. But this isn't just an issue for the super rich. The truth is, is that we all do it in various ways. There are various ways in which we try to cling to life and avoid talking about suffering and death. For some of us, that might be our successes. We look to our success as a way to be truly alive, to truly feel like we have value and to avoid things like suffering. And so we work hard to climb that corporate ladder so that we can buy the best cars and have the biggest houses because the one with the most toys in the ends wins, right? So we cling to our success and we say that's what it means to truly be alive and to avoid suffering. For others of us, we turn to our relationships. Whether it's our relationships with our family and with our children or our romantic interests. We look to being loved and to feeling love as a way to insulate and protect ourselves from the realities of suffering. From the realities of our own mortality and finiteness. We want to have love in our lives. That's what it means to truly be alive. Or for some of us, we get on the latest health craze, and so we we beat our bodies to a pulp in CrossFit gyms, or we adopt the latest diet for about two weeks, because after two weeks, salad gets boring. Or Or we try to get the latest in medical technology so that we feel more comfortable, so that we live longer, so that we can enjoy maximum quality of life. This is what it means to truly be alive. All these ways are ways in which we avoid. We avoid talking about where the Easter story begins. We avoid talking about death and suffering. We avoid talking about the tomb. We can do that nowadays in in our American society. But back in Jesus' day, death was not so easily avoided. Life expectancies were shorter. They didn't have modern medicine. And if someone died, you couldn't just cart the body off to a funeral home and have them take care of it. You and your family had to deal with it. Death was all around. This is part of the reason why if you were to travel throughout the Roman world and you were to look at monuments that were erected at at grave sites and things like that, you would often find very, very grim reminders of the shortness of human life. 
In fact, one of the very uh, popular uh, phrases that was around in Jesus' day was this Latin phrase, quod sumus hoc eritus. This was often found at grave sites and monuments of the dead. And what it means is it means, as we are, so shall you be. It was a reminder to both kings and peasants that life is short, that one day we will all meet our maker, that we are mortal, that we are finite, that there is an end. That's how they had to deal with death. And again, when someone died, the only thing you could do to cover up that a death had taken place was to get past it quickly. And so people would take the dead and they would wrap them in strips of white cloth, kind of like the ones that some of you received when you walked in this morning. They would wrap them in white cloth. They would anoint the body with spices and perfumes and oils because that's all you could do to deal with the stench. And the answer was to bury the body as quickly as possible or to burn it. That's the only way you could deal with death in their day. They had to deal with it. And the reality is, is that there are many ways in which we try to dress up and take care of and cover over suffering and pain and death in our society. But there are moments in life that suddenly break in. They suddenly break in and they remind us that in the end, death does come for us all. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one, or maybe it's a tragedy that we experience in our lives. Maybe it's the fact that we lose those houses and cars and toys when we lose a job, and suddenly we come face to face with the fact that we are mortal, we are finite, that life can't be clung to, that life isn't something that we can secure for ourselves. And in those moments of crisis, what they reveal is that all of our success, all of our relationships, all of the ways we try to hold on to health, all these things that we cling to to say this is what it means to be alive all those things are simply this they're just grave clothes they're just white things that we wrap around ourselves to try to cover up the suffering the pain and the death that we feel it's simply perfume and spices and so the question is how do we deal with that how does easter actually speak to that reality What does Easter have to say to suffering and pain and death? What does it have to say in the midst of our brokenness? I want to return to the tombs for a moment. Because again, archaeologists in the ancient world, while they went around and noticed that in pagan shrines, there were these grim reminders of death. When they came to Christian burial sites, they found something very, very different. That in fact, if you were to go to the city of Rome and journey into the catacombs where many Christians were buried, what they found is they didn't find phrases like quad sumos hoc eritis. Instead, they found drawings. They found pictures that looked a little like this. These were pictures and paintings of a very, very popular biblical story. They found pictures over and over again, painted and carved on walls of Jesus calling Lazarus out from his tomb, bringing Lazarus back from the dead. This story, this miracle of Jesus is an incredibly popular one. You find references to it in music and in art and in film, uh, in books and in literature. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is a very, very popular biblical story, even if you're not that familiar with the Bible. 
And the story goes a little something like this. You see, Jesus was friends with a man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. They were followers of his. They loved him. They often hosted him and his disciples in their home. And one day, Jesus got word from Martha and Mary that his friend Lazarus had fallen ill, that he was sick. And they said, come, come and heal him. They had seen him perform miracles before. They knew that he could do it. But Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't arrive. Not when they expected him to. In fact, by the time he gets there, it's too late. Lazarus has already died. And Martha and Mary, they, when they hear that Jesus is coming, they go out to him and they weep and they cry and they say, If you had been here, our brother would not have died. And what we learn is that in those moments, Jesus gets down on his knees and he cries with them. He weeps with them over the loss of his friend. But then Jesus does something truly amazing. He says, show me where you have buried him. And so he follows them to the tomb. And when he gets there, he tells them, take away the stone. Roll back the stone. And I love how Martha says this. This is how the King James uh, Version translates this. She says, but Lord, it's been several days and by now he stinketh. <laughs> it's a great line. He stinketh. But the point being, he's been in there four days. The body is rotten. The spices and the grave clothes aren't going to cover up the decay anymore. And Jesus tells them, do it anyways. And they roll back the stone. And after praying, Jesus looks at that grave. He looks at that tomb and he cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It is an incredible story of Jesus turning death backward. He goes to the tomb of a man who's already decaying and he says, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb alive and in good health. Jesus says, take off those grave clothes and let him go. He is alive again. You see, the Christians in ancient times would paint this picture in their tombs over and over and over again. It was their way of saying, not quad sumos hoc eritis, not as we are, so shall you be. But rather, it was their way of saying, as he is, so we one day will be also. They firmly believed that a day would come when Jesus would call them by name. That he would speak their name and he would say, come out. And they would come out of their tombs alive again. That was their hope. That was the hope that they clung to over and over again. It was the hope that they reached for. And the question is, why? I think the answer is because this is what we do when we encounter suffering and pain as human beings. That when we as human beings reach the end of ourselves, we end up reaching for the divine. We reach for God. And that's what they were doing. They were reaching for God in the hopes that death doesn't get the last word. That there is a paradise. There is a new life waiting for us beyond the tomb. They longed for a day when death would be rolled backwards, when they would hear their names spoken, when there would be no more crying or pain or suffering any longer. That was their hope. It's the hope that we're called to at Easter. 
But again, another question then comes to mind. And and that question is, is, can I believe it? I mean, Jesus said when he was speaking with Mary and Martha, he said that I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. It's a, it's a beautiful promise. But the question is, can I really take trust in it? Can I really cling to it? I mean, don't other religions also offer answers to suffering and death? And the answer is, yeah, they do. Judaism and Islam both speak about a paradise. Hinduism and Buddhism speak about an end to suffering. And so the question is, what makes Christianity's claim, what makes Jesus' claim, I am the resurrection and the life, any different? Isn't this just a nice story that we tell to ourselves as kind of a crutch when life gets hard? Isn't this just a a pretty tale that we say to one another in order to make things feel just a little bit better in the moment? I would say if, if all it was was a claim, if all it was was Jesus saying, I can do this, then yeah, it's no different than any other story. But here's where I think Christianity is different. The thing that sets the Christian faith apart is simply this. It's the fact that Jesus' own tomb is empty. That Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, you know he can back that claim up because death couldn't hold on to him. Death could not hold him in its grip. That he walked out of his own tomb and needed no one to roll aside a stone. He needed no one to call his name. He simply rose again to new life. And because he lives, so we also will will live. The claim of the Christian faith is that this happened in time and in space and in history. You see, stories begin with once upon a time, but what we hear is Jesus was crucified when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea during the time of the Roman Empire, that Caiaphas was the high priest. There are all these historical details, and in fact, Jesus' early followers said it this way. They said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Christianity is the only religion that's willing to stake all of its promises, all of its claims on this historical event. And it's there for you to explore. That's why it's there. And in fact, Paul says, if it's not true, you are wasting your time being here on Easter morning. They were willing to stake everything on a historical event. And what I find so amazing is how over and over and over again, down through the centuries, skeptics, people who didn't believe it, have started to actually explore the evidence and have found there is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for Alexander the Great. That the evidence is so overwhelming that books upon books upon books have been written. Books like Evidence Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. The historical reliability of the Gospels by Craig Blomberg. I could go on and on and on. And these aren't just popular books. We are talking about deep, well-researched scholarly work being done in this area. Showing that there is historical evidence showing that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And beyond this, there are countless moral and philosophical and scientific arguments pointing to the truth of the claims of Scripture. 
The evidence for Christ's resurrection is overwhelming. In fact, one of these books was just recently made into a movie, The Case for Christ. It follows a man named Lee Strobel, who was, uh, who was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, but he was also an atheist. But his wife came to faith and she said, All right, Lee, I will leave you alone. I will stop talking to you about Jesus if you will do one thing for me. If you will take all of your investigative journalism expertise, if you will take your Pulitzer Prize winning research, your brilliant mind, and apply it to the evidence for Christ, and if you get to the end of that journey and you still don't believe, I will leave you alone. Well, Lee took her up on the challenge. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ, a story about how he found faith when he started looking for evidence. And so to anyone who comes to me and they say, well, there's just not enough evidence to believe that Christ rose from the dead, I will tell you right now, you just aren't doing your research. Just straight up. The evidence is overwhelming. And if you're sitting here today and you're just like, I need to look at that evidence again. I want to see if there really is evidence showing that this happened on your Connect card a little bit later in the service. Write that down in the empty, in the empty spot on the Connect card. Say, I want to learn more. I'm looking for those resources. And I would be happy to, to give those to you because honestly, that's where I was at. There was a time in my life where I didn't believe. I didn't think there was enough evidence. But as I explored, I found that it was true. And that's the reason Easter brings so much hope. Because it means that if Jesus Christ's tomb is empty, if he rose from the dead, it means that death is not the end for any of us. That the tomb doesn't get the last word. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on to say it this way. He says, but Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through one man. That because Christ is raised from the dead, I have certain hope that one day he will call me by name and say, come out. And that there will be life eternal with him and with my loved ones. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's the good news of the Easter story. That's why we say Alleluia, because it means that there is an end to suffering and death. And God himself proved it in time, in space, and in history for you and for me. And what's great about this news is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything at all to earn eternal life. Getting in with God is not about your performance. It's simply about what he's already accomplished. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Jesus says, whoever, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but has life eternal. That is an awesome promise. But it's an awesome promise that isn't just for what happens on the day that we, that we meet our end, but rather it's a promise that actually transforms our lives today. Because what it tells us is it tells us that life is ours. That we don't have to look to our successes, to our health, to our relationships, to our moral performance in order to feel alive. What it says is that you are already a child of God. You don't have to look for your value and your significance in what you do or who you know. Rather, it's given to you by Christ. That the resurrection actually transforms how we live day in, day out because it totally reorders our values and what we live for. 
That's why over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the Lazarus story and seeing how resurrection actually brings hope in our day-to-day lives. We're actually inviting you to take these grave clothes, these strips of cloth, and to bring them back. Because we're going to be talking about the grave clothes that are in our lives and how Jesus takes those away and gives us new life instead. And so we invite you to bring these back. To join us for the next two weeks as we see how the resurrection is good news both today and into life eternal. Because it is good news. That's the Easter message. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. And as a way of celebrating that gift, of taking time to say Alleluia, I want to invite you to stand. We are going to respond in thanksgiving by singing together.